Hey, you're listening to the RFWP Podcast with your host, Lois McNair and Emily Lewis, where you'll find candid conversations, transparent faith, encouragement, the occasional sarcasm, and a whole lot of grace as they share their walk with Jesus. Here's today's episode. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they had crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Forgiving like Jesus means that Jesus could forgive because he had confidence in God his Father. Jesus could forgive because he had compassion for their blindness of what they were doing. And Jesus could forgive because he had the conviction that it is love that brings life change. Wow, those are so powerful, such powerful statements to start this out with. Well, welcome guys to the RFWP where we are seeking truth and finding God's heart. I'm your host, Emily Lewis, and with me, my co-host, Lois McNair. Hi. So Maybe we should just rename it Lewis and Lois. There you go. Like Lewis and Clark, <laughs> except Lewis and Lois. <laughs> Yeah, except for then we'd have to explain the spelling every time we did it because Lewis is the other way. That's okay. <laughs> when I go through Chick-fil-A, they usually call me Lewis, even That's though funny. I say it's Lois. They call me Lewis, Louise, mm-hmm. yep. whatever. But, you know, Chick-fil-A has permission to call me whatever they want to as long as they get my order right. So <laughs> There you go. <laughs> But Lewis and Lois, with our names being so close, that even messed with JC a couple of weeks ago when he when he messaged you, thinking he had messaged both of us because of your That's last right. name. <laughs> and I was having yeah. all kinds of FOMO because I wasn't invited to the meeting. And it was actually just... Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So welcome, We should probably guys. not confuse everybody like that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Well, tonight well, we least, are doing... At least it's not Thelma and Louise. <laughs> oh. But tonight we are doing part three of our forgiveness series. And I think this is kind of... There's been so much meat in this series because um, yeah. forgiveness is a big topic. But um, tonight, kind of the rubber meets the road. We, we're going to wrap up the story of Joseph and answer your questions. Yeah, attempt to answer some of those questions. Yeah. And I just want to, like, right away thank um, my former pastor and dear friend, um, Dr. Lloyd Stilley, who has um, given, given me some of his notes and those three statements that I made of how Jesus was able to forgive came from... A message from Lloyd. Um, such good content. I wish I could just sit and read the entire sermon to you, but if you're interested in any of 
Lloyd's content, he does have several messages on lifeway.com in the sermon section. Mm-hmm. So anyway, cool. I want to thank him for that because he um, he's really invested some time in pulling some sermons that I recall of his for for our podcast. So thanks to Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for the first question? Oh, you know, several months ago we did we did a a question and answer like people could just ask us whatever they wanted. To. Yeah, I think I was I was less afraid <laughs> at that one than I am at this one because, like you said, forgiveness is such a heavy topic, and there's no way for us to cover everything. But we've tried to kind of open up things that don't normally get talked about with forgiveness. So um, all that being said, I guess, I guess, yes, <laughs> I think as I'm ready as we'll ever be as ready as we'll ever be. Yeah. So this first question is from Sarah. She says, one question I've always battled with in the area of forgiveness is when the offender doesn't recognize and if confronted still won't recognize that they've done wrong how do you maintain a relationship when true reconciliation isn't even possible? Wow. That is a, that is a packed question. Um, yeah. Kind of like to take a second to break it down. So Go ahead. Going, back, going back to the first part of the question. Um, Sarah, you are not alone. Uh, because a lot of people deal with this very thing. I personally have dealt with it. If you heard a little bit in part two of forgiveness, a little bit of um, my story, you know, none of those people have apologized or said, I'm sorry, you know, um, that, that let us go. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that's just one part of our story, but, Um, Just the, just the beginning of that forgiveness as a reminder is, is not about the other person. It, it is very frustrating humanly when the offender, the abuser, the perpetrator never admits to what they did. And I think that's probably one of the biggest hangups um, f- as humans. It's one of the biggest hangups that we have to forgiving is because we just want somebody to acknowledge what they've done. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. it it's tough. Um, what was the second part of second part of that? Yeah. Question. She says, how, how do you maintain a relationship when true reconciliation isn't even possible? So I guess I would be curious if somebody is not acknowledging their offense. Um, just really not acknowledging it. To me, it doesn't look like a healthy pattern to to try to continue to maintain a relationship with that person, unless it's a family member, which you're just like, I, you know, I need to maintain a a relationship with this person. 
in that case, I think boundaries have to be put in place. But remember um, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about what forgiveness is and is not. And forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. If there's repentance, if there is life change, if there is the person has truly repented and then proven themselves to be trustworthy, then I think a relationship and reconciliation, but just Mm -hmm. because forgiveness needs to take place in obedience to Christ, whether we feel like it or not, and then we start that process. But that doesn't mean we have to have a relationship or reconciliation with that person. Right. And I think when she's asking this question, which I've heard echoed from others as well, is the you can maintain a relationship without true reconciliation, um, like when it is a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, but that relationship w- would and probably should look differently. So you're not maybe able to reconcile to the place where your heart really longs for it to be. There might be more parameters, boundaries around it. We're not going to meet at their house or we're only going to see you once a month or we're only going to um, communicate over the phone if texting is a problem or whatever those boundaries look like. The relationship um, might not be restored to everything you might hope for it when there isn't the repentance. Yeah. Mm. That's tough. You know, no, I like it. Mm-hmm. Step one of forgiveness is a, is just being obedient to the fact that Jesus commands us to forgive. But beyond that, it gets really crazy and a little gray. So, you know, um, man. Yep. Just follow okay. the leading of the Holy Spirit and have yeah. an accountability person that doesn't let you get too... Mm, that's good. And if it's a former yeah. relationship with a guy or a girl, like, you know, if it's a former relationship where they're and you're just like, well, we're just trying to be friends again. And it was uh, unhealthy or toxic or abusive in any way, shape or form. There is no we're just going to be friends again. Those one of those situations where you walk away and then you run as fast as you can. And you go through therapy and counseling and forgiveness on your own, but they don't have to be a part of your life again. Right. And if you're co-parenting, I mean, there are stories of that, that redemption too, where a person has eventually um, repented. Yeah. But that relationship is going to look very, very boundaried otherwise. Yeah. So the next question is, Do you think or feel like there is a double standard for forgiveness in churches today? Does it seem like people in leadership roles demand forgiveness with little change to how they treat others? And if they are forgiven, should they ask the person they've hurt to forget everything and never bring it up or think about it again? If someone says they forgive you, but then proceed to tell you to get over it, put it in the past, is that actually repentance? (laughs) Whoa, that is a... That is a loaded question. That is a long one, right? It's a long one. So let's take it by pieces. Go back to the beginning part. Yeah. 
Do you feel like there's a double standard for forgiveness in churches where leaders demand forgiveness um, without change and then they just ask people to forget it? All right. Um, I think that uh, to some degree in some churches, and I'm going to say some and some because there are healthy churches, um, the unhealthy churches unhealthy leaders is what we're getting the majority of uh, screen time about right now. And it should be called out and it is unhealthy and it does need to be changed. And I'm glad that people are speaking out. Um, If you're in a situation with a leader at a church that is demanding forgiveness from his or her people and yet not repenting and just saying you're not allowed to talk about it again because you already forgave me or whatnot that in no way shape or form is that healthy that is that's not a healthy situation um and i think you would (laughs) invoke is not the right word but probably invoke matthew 18 in that situation especially if it's a leader you go to them you know they don't listen, you take somebody with you. They don't listen, you bring it before the elders. Um, right. But yeah, I think I think there that goes back to um, narcissism. You know, Chuck DeGroat's book, When Narcissism Comes to Church. I'm not saying that every leader that demands that or whatever is a narcissist, but there is a, a little bit of that in there if you're asking people to... Um, I don't know. It's kind of putting, putting you on a, your own high priest level and that's not healthy at all. Right. Saying like, well, just forgive me because I made a little mistake or you took it the wrong way or downplaying it is absolutely unacceptable. Um, yeah. so, so this kind of follows up to that question a little bit. Um, do you think that a spiritually abusive person should be forgiven and still allowed a role of friendship or influence in the victim of their abusers, abusee's life. Whoa. If the, <laughs> okay. Go ahead. If the abused person doesn't feel comfortable with that and, it cl- and claims to have forgiven their abuser, is not forming a friendship with their abuser a sign or fruit of not being forgiving? My heart just breaks for that question, honestly. That forgiveness has been so weaponized that they feel guilty for for putting boundaries up and saying, you're abusive. The patterns that you show are abusive. Um, No, you don't get that access to me anymore. They're feeling guilty over keeping themselves healthy. That that makes me sad because that's very, that's a very twisted narrative on, on yeah. that person from somebody that's gotten them to the point where they feel like if they don't have a friendship with this person, then they haven't really forgiven them. And we did talk about that a little bit in our first episode, not really going over the questions at that point, but um, forgiveness is not reconciliation and forgiveness is for your heart and your healing and and what and, and yes, we want we want people to 
you know, have repentance and get to a point of, you know, repentance and redemption and restoration. I mean, that's, you know, that's what Jesus has come for. But forgiveness is a personal choice, not that it's actually a choice because scripture commands us to forgive, mm-hmm. but it is a choice. Um, we can choose to obey or not obey what God has asked us to do, but it does not give access to the abuser. It does not give access to um, the unhealthy people, the toxic people, the hurtful people, However you were hurt, however you were abused. Um, now, there are unbelievable stories of redemption. Yep. That's yeah. of, of like ending up being friends or that type of thing. But you can forgive without giving access. Absolutely. So can I ask a follow-up question of my own? I'd love to hear your response. We talked about the fruit of repentance. So, but what is the fruit of forgiveness? Because it sounds like this person is saying, like, forming a friendship. They were taught that forming a friendship back again with that person was a fruit of repent, a fruit of forgiveness. No, no. But what is it? What, no. I know, I know. <laughs> but what is what is some fruit that you've seen in your own heart that you can point to and testifies to the power of forgiveness working in your heart towards people who have hurt you? I think for me, and I talked about this in the the last episode we did on forgiveness was. Um, it was a sense of freedom and release in my own life to again, learn more of God's character and his nature and draw closer to him. Mm. So I think that, um, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, long suffering, goodness, Mm-hmm. Um, self-control, all those. So those are personal. That's a very personal, the fruit of the Holy Spirit of this in my life is something that I want to continue to allow, to sanctify me, to draw me closer to the Father. In there, when we're, when we choose forgiveness for someone who has hurt us, abused us, that's a part of, of surrendering the consequences over to the Lord, surrendering our right to have revenge or, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, I think a fruit of that is, is personal. It's not a fruit for the other person that's been the abuser. The fruit is, is personal. It's Mm. release, it's freedom, it's Mm -hmm. rest, it's peace, it's healing, it's growth in your relationship with Christ. You can't be responsible for the other person's fruit and they cannot hold you responsible. You know, 
I think I said this in a conversation to you earlier. <laughs> the abuser who is unrepentant or will doesn't actually see the abuser does not in turn get to dictate to you when you forgive and forget. Like, mm-hmm. and, and scripture doesn't say anything about forgetting. Yes, Jesus puts our sins as far as the East is from the West, but um, not forgetting is not the same as rehearsing the hurt over and over and over again to when we never get healthy. That's not what I'm talking about, but I know I'm kind of like going 90 different, but the, <laughs> that's kind of my fault though. <laughs> the person who hurts someone and, and let's face it, the, the levels in our human mind may be different, but like you said earlier, like we talked about this, like we have all hurt someone. Yeah. And I think sometimes we forget that we we've all hurt someone. Obviously not to the degree that some have been hurt, but right, I'm not, you're not saying we're all abusers. Just like No. No. We we've hurt, we've said things that cut, we've excluded people that we shouldn't have or yeah, we've hurt right. people. And, but I'm not in any way minimizing someone's abuse and a and a victim because I'm not, if you've listened to me long enough, you know that that's not my heart whatsoever. I guess what I'm saying is the the person who's, um, and this goes back to kind of that other question, the leader of the church, you know, whatever, um, that we talked Mm -hmm. about the, the person who's done the hurting does not get to dictate to the victim or the person who's been hurt does not get to dictate to them the length of their healing, the length of what they, you know, what they need and that they're not allowed to talk about it anymore. That for somebody to twist that and say, well, the fruit of showing that you've actually forgiven me is that you don't talk about it anymore, that you don't tell your story anymore then that says more about the abuser's lack of repentance and true humility than it does about the person's forgiveness journey. I think I just took a really long (laughs) run around the park to get to that last statement. Yeah. It's it's so important though that you don't let like, I guess I'll just, say what you just said again, but we don't um, let abusers dictate, oh, you've, you've healed long enough or, oh, it wasn't that bad. Like you should, you should have definitely been over it by now. Like we yeah. don't, we get, there are, I, I don't remember. Did I say this in episode one? There are very few people that get to speak into our lives to that degree. And the abusers, not one of them. And if people need to call us out and say, Hey, I, I think this is developing into bitterness in your heart. Um, we, we have to have those people to keep sure. us accountable. Um, right. But the abuser is not the one that gets to say, Oh, like get over it. <laughs> right. It's never, I mean, we, we do have to be careful with the root of bitterness. We do have to, you're absolutely right. Um, and say, Hey, 
but it's the people who who you trust or the people that you know are following the leading of the Holy Spirit that get to speak into your life like that. Um, yeah. And it makes me sad that somebody's, like you said earlier, that forgiveness has been weaponized to what that actually Away from what it actually is. Yeah. 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 Okay. Are you ready to jump into the story of Joseph? Take a deep breath after those questions. Yeah. Did we finish the last one? I don't know if we finished the last question. We did because part of her question, um, like third question, it was around never speaking on it again, which you hit on. Perfectly. Oh no! I mean, if you want to hit on yeah. that more, we can. No, it, yeah, no. Um, and here's the thing: somebody needs your story. Somebody needs your story, and and needs to see that there's um, there's victory. There can be mm. victory on the other side of being victimized. And abused. It, it may not. Yeah, yeah it, may, it may not always look the same, but um, yeah, people people need to hear the story. And it's different when you share your story to walk through it, to help others grow than it is to just rehearse your story because you're spiraling into, you know, a deep hole of, of bitterness and never coming out of that but um and as we process there will be new layers especially if it's a multifaceted um thing or was an ongoing thing you can forgive somebody for this and then you'll feel legitimately triggered by something and then go oh wait that points back to oh that thing and then you might need to talk about it. You might need to process through it. And it goes back to the point of, are we on the process of forgiveness? That doesn't mean that there won't be a grieving process and that it will always look pretty. (laughs) And it will be like, oh, I recognized a new way that I need to forgive this person. And we wave our magic wand. We might have to go through another year's worth of process on that thing. But where is our heart and where is our desire towards? Um, Right. Yeah. And... Also, um, kind of on a, on a different scale, Scripture does say that we should forgive quickly. You know, don't, that love doesn't keep record of wrongs and this kind of stuff. But that, you know, I, I think of that, we should step into obedience of forgiveness even if we have to say, Lord, I don't want to forgive this person. You know my heart. But because you have commanded us in scripture to forgive, I'm going to step into the process of forgiveness with your power and your strength because I certainly have no desire to even do this right now, but I'm going to step in an obedience. Obedience um is is not always 
we're not always just feel like, oh, yeah, I feel like obeying, you know, just like when our kids are younger. But I think that's um, important. And then also just daily things. It doesn't always have to be some big, heavy, horrible, traumatic event that needs to be forgiven. Sometimes it just needs to be a surrender and having a forgiving spirit for those around us. Because scripture Absolutely. also talks about not being easily offended. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother episode. I think the whole <laughs> think world so. is offended <laughs> these days. Yeah. About everything. And I think one of those, something that keeps me mm, humble, I guess you could say, um, not that I think I have it figured out or anything, but is remembering where I have um, not been gracious and not been kind, or I've been snippy with my kids or my husband or people really close to me where, wow, and I acknowledge the grace that they've shown me, like, oh, you know, I can, I can overlook this offense because of the love and grace that's been shown me and um, for my offenses throughout the day. Yeah. That's a huge spectrum. This is why a three-part series on forgiveness honestly isn't enough, but um, I'm sure that there are other messages and podcasts and out there that have probably delved into um yeah. So I, I will. I want to read this part of Lloyd's message. And then we'll Please go do. into our story of Joseph. First John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus' story about the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep to find the one lost sheep, about the son who scorns his father, then wrecks his life in sin, but then repents, comes home, and is forgiven, loved and accepted by the dad he so wounded. These are pictures of the costly, far-reaching love of God for you. And when that dawns on you, when you see the cross, a brutal act of pure love where Jesus, who took your ruin upon himself and served your sentence for the crimes you have committed against God, it will change your heart. Love can make an enemy into a friend, a sinner into a son. We get to live out that love to others. It's just a reminder back to the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And if we are responding in love to our Father, I think it will, that is what will help us on our journey of forgiveness, whether it's mm -hmm. a light offense or it is a traumatic, life altering offense. Mm -hmm. But we are never and will never say, that there has to be reconciliation with that person. The forgiveness is for your healing and for your relationship with, with God. 
Mm-hmm. Right. When you're talking about um, obeying God, when he says to uh, forgive, I think one of the reasons that I obey God, maybe it's selfish, <laughs> but it's because I know that God knows how the world works best. And it's a, it's a trust in that, that if he knows forgiveness is good for me, is best for the people around me, then we can forgive. And as we see him model that forgiveness towards us, man, we can let that flow through us to other people and not just let it stop at us. Yeah, that's really Mm -hmm. good. That's really Mm -hmm. good. So speaking of forgiveness, (laughs) Joseph... And we said this, I think, in the first episode. Um, his story is just phenomenal. And going back through it in detail, I've really enjoyed rereading. And even when we get done with this three-part series, there is so much more about Joseph's story that I, that I want to study. Mm. Um, again. But, you know... Um, Like we said in the first episode of forgiveness that people like to take the end of Joseph's story and use that. Well, if Joseph can forgive his brothers, then blah, 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 blah. But few actually take the time to really look at the journey I mean, we're talking basically 22 years from the time that he was sold into slavery to the time that Hmm. he encounters his brothers again. Man. Um, So I think we're at the point where Joseph meets his brothers a second time. Jacob decides to finally let the brothers return to... Egypt with Benjamin and and remember Benjamin is is being very protected by the brothers even Judah who initially should have been the one to protect Joseph years ago but if you know that history of Rachel and Leah um, that Joseph and Benjamin were the only children from Rachel. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if you go back and read that whole story of how they got to that point, then you'll understand really probably why Joseph and Benjamin were favored um, in their father's eyes. Not that that was right, but um so they're allowed to go back, um, and he, he tells them to go back and buy some food. Um, so this, was, this wasn't just a couple of months later. You know, this was after the first uh, year of famine. But you've got to remember that uh, there's a brother who has stayed. There's a brother who's in jail, who's there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we don't even, um, 
here during that year, we don't get the part of the story about where his heart was. You know, if he was angry, if he was bitter. But we did touch a little bit on the fact that the brothers felt like they were being punished for the mm -hmm. sins prior to. Um, so Judah explains why they had to bring Benjamin with them to Egypt. And, you know, and Judah basically... Um, puts his life on the line and says, I'll make sure. So if we jump down to verse 18 in chapter 43, so the men took that present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home Slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he can make a case against us and fall upon us and take us as slaves with our donkeys." So mm -hmm. they're still in fear. Yeah, they are. You think about that. 22 years. Imagine living with that guilt and that mm -hmm. shame and that process for that many years. You know, and, and they have their own children at this point. And yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. When they draw near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came back to the encampment that we opened our sacks and each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we brought it back in our hand and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We don't know who put our money in our sacks. But the steward said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Oh, this is Joseph. Sorry. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So they're still like, we brought the money back and then we brought more money that we could actually buy the food with. They had to come back because Simeon was there. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And Simeon was not going to be released unless they brought Benjamin back. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when we're, and I, and I do believe, you know, this uh, commentary enduring enduring word talks about the fact that this whole time these steps that Joseph's not being manipulative or vengeful that he is listening to the leading of the Lord basically to test the hearts and the repentance of the brothers if they mm -hmm. are where they are and sometimes 
it takes a long time for people to be shown by the Holy Spirit where they've wronged you or sometimes where we've wronged someone. And again, I think that's goes back to being part of the fruit of the spirit. Are we surrendering our lives to the Lord? Are we open to hear from the Holy Spirit so that we are brought to repentance for the things that need to be repented? Or we are brought to um, a place of forgiveness for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see in Joseph's story that he's willing to listen. He's willing to listen mm-hmm. to the Lord for this process. Right. It's such a powerful example. And I'm, th- I'm so thankful for it that Joseph was able to take this time and that he was able to show us that it wasn't just forgiven, like let bygones be bygones. It was testing to see if his brothers were worthy of reconciling with. And we see him weeping and we see his brothers fearful. Like there are so many emotions that are being processed through this thing. Right. It's not just this concrete sequential, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to forgive because I'm stepping into forgiveness, obedience to Christ, and then you've got five points, three poems, the sermon, and reconciliation. <laughs> Man, it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah. No. He, and then he brings them into his house and feeds them. You know, and um, I, I, when I see this, I think of like a modern day, um, like a modern day Netflix series, you know, where everybody, <laughs> all the drama is just like, he's toying with us, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going into that. And they sit down to this feast. And I wonder when he gives Benjamin, how many extra portions is it? It's five. It's like five. It's like five portions. Okay, so he's like, I don't know how it worked in their like culture or their custom, but he's like dishing it out or having it dished he's out. Serving and, them, which blows oh, my he mind. Serving them, I couldn't remember. Okay, so he serves them, and he sends five helpings to Benjamin. Was he testing them to see, like, how do they um, respond when someone else is honored, like? Because when I had dreams that I was going to be honored above them, they sold me. So what are they going to do with Benjamin if Benjamin gets extra honor as the youngest brother again? Absolutely. And this this commentary uh, basically says, yes, that that he was testing them. to see where their hearts were, to see if there was a change in the hearts of their brothers. Um, mm-hmm. Or if they were the same men that threw him into the pit and were deaf to his cries. But before he even gets five portions, I mean, you're thinking like, wait a minute, 
before he even gets, I love the, the fact that the author says this. He's like, he has the brothers sit in birth order. Okay. I could see if you're looking at somebody and there's like three siblings and you can probably figure out who's the oldest one, but we're talking 11 brothers here. And he sits <laughs> them in birth order and then he serves Benjamin five times the portions of everybody else. Wow, I've never noticed that that was pretty incredible. <laughs> wow. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as theirs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I love that. I, I was just like, that's good. But when you go, when you talk about uh, Joseph checking with the heart of his brothers, he mm-hmm. wanted to see if the, if their hearts had changed. And we're talking, like I said before, about 22 years is what some believe. So after this, they're all happy. They're like pumped. Um, he sends them on their way. You guys... Some of you know the story. Some of you may not know the story, but he sends them on their way again. Okay, this didn't just happen in a few weeks time. This took a long time for this process. He sends them on their way again. Um, and he basically tells the servants, you know, put, put their extra food, put the money in the mouth of the bags, but in the youngest Put my silver cup. (laughs) So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away. They and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, "Why why have you repaid evil for good? I want to stop. Right there for just a second. That's st- that question. Why have you repaid evil for good? Hmm. This gets used, and along with the same lines as what you meant for evil, God meant for good. But this is the flip side of that, and he's testing the brothers and telling his steward to go say, why have you repaid evil for the good that I've done? Hmm. Some think that Joseph did this simply to use his position of power to torment his brothers in revenge. But knowing the character of Joseph, this couldn't be the case. Guided by the hand of God, Joseph, again, tested the hearts of his brothers and brought them to complete repentance. When you think about this, Joseph's process that he's following with the Lord is not to manipulate. It's not for him to get revenge. It's not all that. It's to bring his brothers to repentance so that there can be reconciliation. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. huge. It's huge. It's so good. And as the brothers 
I'm sure they're terrified by now because their silver was in their bags the first time and they're right. supposed to show their bags, but they're saying, no, we didn't take the silver cup. There's no way none of us did. And they say, if we take the, um, if the cup is found in our possession, then we will be your slave. And then it's found yeah. in Benjamin's sack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The baby brother, who's not a baby at this point, has children. But the baby brother, who they were all in fear of bringing in the first place, and, and Jacob didn't want him taken because he'd already lost Joseph, and they knew that, and they were, and and now they've put Benjamin's life on the line. Yeah. In verse um, 16 of 44, it says, What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, How can we plead? How can we justify ourselves? God has exposed your servant's iniquity. We are now my Lord's slaves, both we and the one whose possession the cup was found. Hmm. Hmm. Here shows another point. Um, back up a couple of verses, verses 11 through 13. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack. So he searched, he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. This line right here, then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Mm -hmm. Anytime that clothes in scripture calls it rent, it was astonishment. It was sorrow. It was grief. It was like somebody had died. And mm -hmm. these brothers realized the depth of what was getting ready to be sacrificed. And they didn't turn on each other and say, who took it? No, they, they were trusting each other at this point, which again mm -hmm. shows how they were being brought to repentance. But this was an extreme expression um, when they tore their clothes and they all stayed together. Like they all went to the city together. 11 brothers stayed together and went to the city together. Um, mm -hmm. Instead of turning on each other and taking off. So right. the author reminds us that this, this was a radical change in the brothers because when we see their story 22 years earlier, they're arguing, they don't, you know, they're, they're comparing, this happens, that happens, and mm -hmm. there's a radical change. They didn't want to hurt their father. They didn't want to mm. hurt Benjamin. And they all returned together. Yeah. And then in verse 17, Joseph says, I swear that I will not do this. I will not um, take all of you as slaves. He says, the man in whose possession the cup was found will be my slave. Like the one final test. Are they going to sell out Benjamin? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then go on. You can go back to your father. Yeah. Um, the rest of you can go in peace to your father in verse 18. But Judah approached him and said, my Lord, please let your servant speak 
um, personally to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, my Lord, we have an elderly father and a younger brother, the child of his old age. The boy's brother is dead. He is the only one of his mother's sons left. Mm-hmm. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him to me so that I can see him. But we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If we were to leave, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, if your younger brother does not come down with you, you will not see me again. Can I go back to that um, where he says, this boy's brother is dead. They still didn't know that. They were still, they just had told the lie so long that Joseph was dead that mm. they be, they either believed it or they just didn't have any other story to tell. Yeah. But he's but he's pleading with Joseph saying, don't hurt Benjamin, don't hurt our father. Who's pleading? Judah. Judah. Amazing. And where in all of the sons of Jacob, in all of the sons of Jacob, where is the line of Christ through? Mm. It's Judah. through Judah. Yeah. Cause it's Christians, a beautiful picture. Because mm-hmm. Christians should be marked with strong repentance. Yeah. And then strong forgiveness as well. Um, I, I thought this was amazing when I read this this week um, in this commentary. 22 years before, um, the brothers were innocent of the sin of stealing the cup, but were guilty of far greater sins. In the same Mm. way, we might take pride because we're innocent of some sin or another, and yet we are guilty of far greater. You can't Mm. hide from your sin, and time does not erase the guilt of your sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can do that. Mm. So when I think about forgiving somebody else and everything that I've been forgiven of, I, I cannot forgive that person without realizing what Christ has done for me in my guilt and in my shame and in my wretchedness. And that only through the blood on the cross, the blood being shed on the cross and the resurrection of Christ is, is what allowed me to be forgiven. And I'm not Jesus. I'm never going to be Jesus. But I'm supposed to follow his example. Right. And, and so only time doesn't release the guilt, doesn't erase the guilt, but Jesus blood on the cross can. And I think when we're reminded of that, we can step in to the forgiveness journey with confidence that, that God, God's going to handle it. Like you said earlier, he knows, he knows it better than I do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he does. So right. 22 years before, when the brothers thought to kill Joseph, but threw him into a pit, he cried out to them. Scripture tells us he's pleading with 
anguish. Mm. Now listen to this quote by Donald Barnhouse. When I read this today, it blew my mind. Donald Barnhouse said, a physicist could com- could compute the exact time required for Joseph's cries to go 25 yards out of the pit to the eardrums of his brothers. But it took 22 years for that cry to go from the brothers' eardrums to their hearts. So we know, we know what happens next. And you can continue to read the rest of the story. But we know that Joseph finally gets to a point where he cannot hold back anymore from revealing himself to his brothers. He's watched, he's tested them as the Lord has told him to test them. Judah talks about this conversation with his father. He lays the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he offers his life for Benjamin's life and his father's life in verses 33 and 34. Yeah. And then when we go on to the next chapter, I want to get to those verses um, that talk about Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. So the author calls it the emotional revelation. We're reading in chapter 45 of Genesis. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all of those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. In other words, they were astonished. They were frightened. They were terrified. They were like, I'm sure in shock. The author even says that there is a Jewish legend that says that the spirits, and we know that this isn't true, it's just a legend, but that the the brothers were so astonished that their that their souls left their bodies and then returned. Now, we know that's not true, but that just gives us a picture of how frightened, terrified, amazed, in shock they were. And he says, come to me, come near to me. <laughs> and I'm sure as a brother thinking, um, that's okay. I know what I did to you 20 years ago, but they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. Mm-hmm. 
for these two years that the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all of Egypt. And then he tells him, go get my father, bring everybody back. They brought back like 70. And then would you read the portion that that narrative has been twisted so much over the years, that famous statement that Joseph makes. Yeah, so that shows up all the way in chapter 50, verse, oh, I'll start in verse um, 15 for some backstory. So Jacob has died and been buried, and his brothers are scared that the only reason that Joseph hasn't done something is because their dad was alive. And so, man, when we think about the power of forgiveness in this story, and we kind of brush past it, even the brothers were having a hard time believing that Joseph had forgiven them. Like that, that's how big this was, that they had to, they tried to manipulate things at the end of their father's death and tell Joseph that Jacob said stuff that he didn't, just so that they could save their own necks because they didn't really understand that forgiveness yet but yeah, they and, and this is years later so right we're still dealing with forgiveness this many years later right so they come to him and say you know tell joseph please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin the suffering they caused you therefore please forgive the transgression of the servants of god of your father and joseph wept when their message came to him and his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Mm. You planned evil against Whoa, me. Whoa, can you back up a second? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We all need that reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all need that reminder. It's easy for me to throw some leaders under the bus here. Because they do try to put themselves in, but we all need that reminder here. Yeah. Um, For am I in the place of God? Uh, You know. Yeah. Am I going to play God in this? Because when God has the big picture, he literally has the big picture. And we can only see like a little bit, a little bit into the past. Mm-hmm. And we can't even see what's going to happen in the next minute. And we're going to try to ascertain that we've got it together. Right. right. So that reminds me of a line from a Marvel movie that Captain America says. And I think uh, somebody's like talking about Thor, maybe, because, you know, He's a god, or maybe he's talking about Loki, the brother. I can't remember. But the woman's like, is he a god? And Captain America says, he says, 
There's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, in verse 19 again, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. He reaffirms them again, and he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Mm. I mean, I know he echoed very similar things in chapter 45, but Mm -hmm. this oft-quoted thing, like you said, it took decades, literally, to get to this point. Now, there are things in my life that I go, oh, I'm not so sure that was nice. Or what did that what did that produce? But there are things that even in the last couple of years, you can look back and go, wow, I, I can see how God orchestrated this or how he took this yuck and made something beautiful out of it. But the restoration of relationship with his brothers, the recognition that even... The, what his brothers meant for evil may have taken um, decades. And that's not to downplay the beauty of this. I'm just saying, don't we, we don't need to rush to this bow on the end. Right. But then we can, we can draw from it and say, God, allow me to get to this place in my heart where I can see maybe from your perspective, that, that aerial perspective, give me, Give me a nugget. Show me how you've used this um, for the better of other people, how others have been spared, how um, life has been preserved through this or whatever God has done with your story. Um, Ask God to allow you to be able to see it so that you can release some of the, the pain and, um, bitterness from that might be have a deep root in there somewhere that wants to spring up at some time and let God root that out. Um, mm-hmm. It is a journey. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is a journey. And I'm glad you just, you just mentioned that because it's not um, necessarily always forgiveness one and done. It's sometimes the, the deep hurt it is a process of forgiveness. Um, and yeah, and these years of this showed this. But one of the things that hit me as we were um, looking at this over the last few weeks, and I, and we shared a little bit of our, our personal stories and I, I'm, I really, I'm, I sit back and I'm amazed at the release and the freedom that I have felt over the last couple of months mm-hmm. when I stepped into that moment of forgiveness and out loud and just through tears and praying and I forgive and, and naming names. It, it, it blows my mind that as we're sitting here talking about forgiveness, even as I shared um, that story part of our story in the last episode that there weren't triggers there for me. 
Like mm-hmm. when, you know, it, it didn't bring up this, oh, maybe I'm not really past this. It like, I'm very thankful, very thankful that there's been that kind of release. But if we look at Joseph's story and we look at the brothers and what he extends to them, and he's and I love um, this version that says, um, "I will take care of you and your little ones," mm-hmm. because we we hear earlier in the story that he sends carts and there's like seventy family members that end up coming to live there and to live off the land. But he says, or because of his um, choice to forgive, Joseph's forgiveness changed the trajectory of generations. Mm -hmm. His Mm -hmm. choice to forgive affected the future. Yeah, it did. For generations. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can look back in our history um, in the United States and other places where we, we've we heard, you know, stories of the Hatfields and the McCoys and all this kind of stuff, um, you know, in, in American history. But the truth of the matter is a lack of forgiveness can cause hurt and bitterness and anger for generations to come. A choice to forgive can also change the trajectory of generations mm-hmm. right. for the future. And that makes me think back again to Ahithophel, where he chose not to forgive, gave Absalom bad advice, and met his destruction, likely through that same bitterness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd love to share with you something that, uh, a quote you referenced. I can't find the exact quote and it's killing me because I scrolled all the way back through all my Twitter likes and things. And I don't know where I saw this, but this is something powerful that just within the last week or two um, allowed me to just reframe some things. And it was something like someone who has hurt you and been a painful part of your story has likely been a vessel of healing for someone else. And that reminds me that even if I'm catching the, maybe the bad side of somebody, that's not their only side. It's really not. That's not their whole person. And and then it's humbling. I think the original poster of this said something about this too, but it's humbling to remember that Somebody out there might be praying to God to let them forgive a deep hurt that I don't even know I gave them. But Mm. it it allows us to walk with humility and grace. It sure does put things in perspective. (laughs) Yep. That it does. I just want to um, encourage our listeners, dig into the story of Joseph. If you are working through 
and extreme hurt. Um, you're probably going to feel all the emotions, you know, the whole spectrum, the, 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 the shock and the anger and the grief and the, you know, the whole, the whole thing, but maybe, um, reading through the story in a thorough way will begin to help open up your heart so that, so that God, only God can help you to forgive someone. Not that that makes it okay. Cause I think we think we we've mentioned that before. It, it doesn't mean it's okay. You're not expunging them of what they did, but it's for your healing, your relationship with the Lord. And, um, honestly to pass a blessing on to your children in the next generation, that this is how we navigate. This is, this is how we walk with Jesus through the good, the bad, right. the ugly. This is mm. what we do. Right. And even if it's not your physical children, the, the people watching you, the people around you, maybe the people you have the pleasure of discipling or the people you're just in small group with, they can mm -hmm. see this and um, you can be an instrument of healing in their life just by showing up authentically and forgiving uh, when it's hard and being a further example of what Christ calls us to do. Yeah. You know, we started out this episode with the verse uh, from Lloyd's message for Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And that might be something that we have to continue to say in our own lives when those things take place. Mm -hmm. As we close, I think it would be really awesome if you could read those three points from Lloyd's message again, just to... They were so powerful and practical. Um, I love to leave people with something tangible. Jesus could forgive because he had confidence in God, his father. Jesus could forgive because he had compassion for their blindness. And Jesus could forgive because he had the conviction that it is love that brings life change. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, you can reach out to Lois and Emily at hello at sisterseeker.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, it would mean the world to us if you would consider supporting the RFWP. You can go to patreon.com slash sisterseeker. Another way to show your support is by leaving us a review. This helps get this cause and this message to more women like you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here, friend.